Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, we continue our new series, The Missionary God, today with a message entitled, God's Agenda with Israel. So open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, and we'll join Dr. Newfeld now. It's the nature of missions to get a glimpse of God's agenda for the world. Habakkuk 2 verse 14 says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. See, God created the world to celebrate his glory. And if you listened to me yesterday, I said that in the eternal wisdom of God, God had decided to progressively make the earth a showcase of his grandeur, of his greatness, of his perfection, of his loveliness, and of his joy. That's all what we mean by glory. And we also know that the apex of that glory, that is, the apex of God's glory is the cross of Jesus Christ. And so according to Habakkuk and the rest of the Bible, the earth will progressively be filled with the knowledge of the cross of Christ. Missions is the response of God's people to God's purpose for this earth. Missions is to fill the earth with the glory of the cross of our precious Savior. Think of it this way. There are any number of organizations that have mission statements or or things that they say they want to accomplish. So, for example, the mission statement for Google is to organize the world's information and make it universally accessible and useful. There it is. In one sentence, we know what Google is up to. How about this from Tesla? Their mission statement says to accelerate the world's transition to sustainable energy. Again, there you have it. Or listen to the mission statement of TEDs. Now, you've probably all heard of TED Talk, so what's TED all about? Well, TED stands for Technology, Education, and Design. But what do they want to accomplish? Well, their mission statement simply says, spread ideas. I think that expresses it perfectly. God has a mission, and it's to fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, which is, as you know, more than a mission statement. It's the reason why God created the earth. And furthermore, that's not just God's plan. God controls everything. And so, in the end, that mission is being fulfilled on God's timetable. God doesn't just aim to accomplish that. He has arranged all things, so that is their outcome. Now, I say that because when it comes to the way in which God seeks to accomplish his mission, well, that mission statement is the central story of the Bible. And you won't understand the Bible until you understand that. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says, In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. That's to say, even while humanity lives in rebellion to God, God's filling the earth with his glory during this time by reconciling men and women to himself through his Messiah. See, the sad thing, at least from my perspective as a Bible teacher, is that there are so many people who don't understand this. So, for example, a lot of people who read the Bible read it not as one story from front to back in which God is showing us how he's accomplishing his mission. Instead, they read the Bible as as a book of stories. You know, they know the story of, you know, David and Goliath and the story of Noah and the ark, the story of Daniel and the lion's den and the story of Jesus walking on water and calming the sea. And all of these are stories they've heard and remember with delight. But in the process, you know, it's easy to think that all of these stories are no more than stories that are meant as life lessons. That is, we need to dare to be a Daniel, and 
We shouldn't make mistakes like David did with Bathsheba. And we need to have the faith of Abraham when, when facing things that seem impossible. And it's that approach to the Bible that's often the reason why people lose themselves and don't understand God's agenda. Instead, they think about their own agenda and how it is that God helps us become the best we can be. If we but have the courage of Daniel and the kind of faith that Peter exhibited for a little while at least when he got out of the boat and walked on water. Well, when you think about how all of our dreams can come true through these life lessons, well, that's how a great many people think about the Bible. And so at the risk of belaboring the point, properly understood, the Bible's not a collection book of stories. Rather, it's one story and only one. God created a world in order to externalize his glory or in order to express his glory. Just like an artist might paint a beautiful work of art to express the loveliness he or she feels inside, so also God has created a physical universe and the earth in particular, to express his glory. And right now, through the cross of Jesus, he is progressively filling the earth with glory. And I also know that when I speak this way, some of you might be thinking, but the Bible really doesn't seem to read that way. Instead of telling the story of God filling the earth with his glory, the Bible seems to concentrate not on the, the story of the earth, but on the story of Israel the story of a group of people in slavery in Egypt being delivered by God and then inheriting Canaan as the promised land and then eventually gaining a king and then defeating all of their enemies and then building a temple and then the tragic story of how they rebelled against God who gave them all of this. And eventually they are destroyed by the Babylonians and then they lose the promised land. And as the Old Testament ends, a ragtag group of Israelite exiles return home to the promised land when the king of Persia has mercy on them. So they rebuild the temple and they wait for their Messiah. In a nutshell, that seems like the story. It's not the story of the earth being filled with glory. I mean, we learn nothing about the Chinese people and what they're doing at that time or what's happening in India or in Europe or among the people of the Americas. The whole world was simply going their own way and they they knew nothing of that one story. It's really not until we get to the New Testament, at least so it seems to a great many of us, that we really get the story of global missions. Now, that's not my understanding of the Bible. I know the Bible was always a global book. It's a book about missions from front to back. It's about God's mission to fill the earth with his glory. But I know that some of you are thinking, if that's true, then I'm going to need some help in finding out how that's true. And how does that affect me? Well, let's get to the details in just a bit, but before I do that, let me take you to a passage of Scripture I began to study yesterday. I was then speaking about the Apostle Paul, and he was on his second missionary journey, and and he had arrived in the Greek city of Athens. The city was full of idols, and Paul brings them revolutionary news. The God who created all things is most unlike all the other gods and goddesses that, that you Athenians have. The one true God is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. You don't have to feed him or carry him to a temple or help him overcome his enemies. Instead of caring for God, you need God to care for you. That's because he gives life and breath to all of you. Moment by moment, you're dependent on him. He's never been dependent on you. And all that exists, exists for his glory. 
And then having said that, let's read on to see the revolutionary things that Paul said next. I'm reading Acts 17, 26 to 29. It says, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he's actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As even one of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. I hope you're hearing Paul. He's telling the Athenians, you shouldn't think that God is the product of your imagination. In fact, it's the other way around. You are the product of God's imagination. Wow. As before, Paul is destroying all of their concepts of spirituality and religion through his revolutionary words. But here, let's concentrate on Paul's earlier words. From one man, God made all men. Now, clearly, that's from the book of Genesis. God created Adam and then his wife Eve, and from them came the human race. And furthermore, Paul says that God determined the allotted periods of human civilizations as well as the boundaries for their lands. Now, this kind of thought might be revolutionary for us as well as the ancients. See, some people, when reading their Bible and hearing of Israel and the promised land, would say, you know, it was God who determined the promised land for Israel, and and it was God who uniquely gave them that land. It was given to the Jewish people. Well, that's true. That's exactly what the Bible says. But here Paul adds another thought, and I have to say, if you think about it, that might just change the way you read your Bible. Paul says that God has also determined the boundaries of all the nations of the earth. Well, where in the world did Paul get that idea? And is the Bible really about all of the nations? A new issue of Truth In Life magazine is now available, focusing on missions and the international response of Back to the Bible Canada. Truth In Life magazine is available free six times a year, featuring solid Bible teaching articles from Dr. John Newfeld, encouragement from author and humorist Phil Calloway, plus a variety of engaging and insightful Bible-based articles. You'll also receive an inside look at all of our ministry activities, events, and more. Don't forget to take advantage of this month's International Match Campaign in support of Back to the Bible Canada's partnership in India and the launch of daily Bible teaching programs into multiple languages. The Match Campaign means your gift will be doubled up to $25,000. Call today for Truth and Life magazine and give towards the International Ministries Match Campaign at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. Well, like everything else that Paul says, the ideas he has are found in the Old Testament. Now, of course, Paul will also say that he's been given a mystery that was not found in the Old Testament, but that mystery doesn't cancel out the First Testament. Rather, that mystery builds on and completes the First Testament. 
But here I'm getting ahead of myself, so, so let me state where this series is going. Eventually, Paul will say that the great mystery that has been hidden from people in the past, but has now been revealed in and through the Messiah is, well, let me allow him to say it. I'm reading Ephesians 3, verse 6. It says, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. So stop right there. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs with Israel. That is, the Gentiles or the nations inherit the Messiah along with Israel. But how do you get that from the First Testament? Well, that's our story. And so for the rest of today and all of tomorrow, I want to show that God has always focused on bringing his gospel, the good news of his glory and the cross of his Messiah to the whole world, all the world. He's taking the best possible approach to filling the earth with his glory. That mission was always front and center. So let's get back to Paul's thought that God has determined the boundaries and the dwelling places of the nations. God has instructed the nations out of his sovereignty and has determined where they should live. Now, where in the First Testament do we get that idea? Well, we get it from Genesis chapter 10. It's often been called the table of the nations. That chapter is intended to show us that after the universal flood, the human race again multiplied. Now, now stop, because this is central to the biblical story. Long ago, when human beings lived extraordinarily long lives, the human race was located primarily in one geographical area. Their technology was no doubt exploding, but, and this is key, don't miss this, their wickedness was exploding as well. Eventually, if they had been allowed to do it, the human race would have persecuted God's people out of existence. Indeed, theirs was a program of religious cleansing, killing all the people of God. And in response, God sends a universal flood and destroys the human race with the exception of Noah and his family. Now then, after the flood, God determines to severely limit the human lifespan. I know that's the curse that we're now living under. And then something else happens. In Genesis chapter 10, we have a chapter which has often been called, as I said, the table of the nations. That is, the chapter traces the descendants of Noah after the flood and their patterns of migration. And so Genesis 10 tells us where people went and established their homes. And so the chapter traces human genealogies telling us of the people that moved first to Egypt and then to Cush and then would have pushed south into Africa. And then it tells us of those who spread out in the Middle East, and then some who moved into the region that we now refer to as Turkey, and up into the regions that we now refer to as Armenia, and Georgia, and Azerbaijan, and from there spreading north into Russia. And then, of course, it tells of those people who spread into Europe, in which, I mean, now I'm speaking personally, that's where I find my ancestral group. But why does the Bible do this? Well, if it's the story of Israel, why is it tracing out these migration patterns for us? Well, the answer to that is given us in the next chapter, Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11 is a flashback. It speaks of an incident that happened before these migration patterns. See, the chapter begins with the words, the whole earth had one language and the same words. And then this unified human race makes a commitment. They say, Come, let us build ourselves a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make for ourselves a name, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. 
And so, as you know, they build a tower which serves as a place of worship, but it's also a place of rebellion against the one true God. And in response, God destroys their tower, and he confuses their language, and it's God who disperses them throughout the earth. And that's why Paul says what he says. It was God who determined the dwelling place of the nations. And Genesis tells us that God acted to prevent the world from becoming so wicked again that a universal flood would be required again. Now, as an aside, there is a time coming when the human race will again become one and be able to communicate with each other. And says the Bible, when that comes, that's when the Antichrist will come. And he will seek to destroy the church of Jesus Christ. So I hope you see that a unified human race, because it's a fallen, rebellious human race, will always attempt to destroy the knowledge of God. And that's why God has divided the human race in the first place. Let me again come back to Paul in Athens. He's telling the Athenians that God arranged the dwelling place of the nations. And then he adds, he did this in his words, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Now, we might ask, does the division of the nations lead to people seeking God? Well, that's the story of missions, and it's the amazing story of the Bible. But before we unpack all of that, let's keep reading the First Testament. After dividing the nations and the original migration patterns are set, pushing into every area of the earth, the Bible's account of missions continues. We move in telling of God's missions from the macro account to the micro account of one man. His name is Abraham. He lives in a city called Ur of the Chaldeans, or in a part of the world that we now call Iraq. And God calls this one man. So we listen to Genesis 12, 1 to 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, of course, if if you know your Bible, Abraham is the father of the people of Israel. His grandson is named Jacob, and he was renamed by God as Israel. Israel's 12 sons became the foundation of the nation. But all of this, as many of you are listening to my voice already know, Abraham's call from God created the people of Israel. And as is stated in the passage we have just read, God not only made Israel's descendants into a nation, but he also promised them a land or a place to live among all the nations of the earth. He established their boundaries. But it's what follows next that should capture our attention. God promises that the whole earth will be blessed in and through Abraham. That is to say, God's program of filling the earth with his glory is going to happen through Abraham and his descendants. And by the time we get to the New Testament, we find that Jesus, who is the long-expected Messiah, is the seed of Abraham. He is the one man from Abraham who inherits this amazing promise to fill the earth with the knowledge of God. But what of the 2,000 years from the promise that was made to Abraham to the coming of Jesus? Isn't that just the story of Israel? Well, of course, it is the story of Israel, but it is so much more. Think of the early part of the story. 
Israel's on their way to Egypt, and they're journeying to their promised land, and, and along the way comes the desert of Sinai. They're called by God to encamp in front of Mount Sinai, God's mountain. And there, for the first time in history, an event occurs that has never been repeated. A nation which then would have numbered about two million people all heard the voice of God at the same time. And he gave them the Ten Commandments. And in the Ten Commandments, God declares what a world full of his glory will look like. God declares also his righteousness. And then Israel learned how to worship the one true God in front of that mountain. And then when they finally enter the promised land, they're called upon to be a light of revelation to the nations or to the Gentiles. Well, that's tomorrow's study. Tomorrow we're going to see not only the uniqueness of Israel, but also Israel's role in relation to the world. If it was really true that God would fill the earth with his glory, then it's also true that God would start from Israel. He'd work out from there. And we need to see how this came to be. We need to see also what this means for every single follower of Jesus. It means that we're on mission. And we're a part of God's mission that includes the future of the earth. God's agenda with Israel is God's story for the whole earth. God means for the earth to be filled with his glory. John, I'm going to deviate just a little bit, but I think it has a lot to do with just Israel and the Old Testament and all these types of things. John, I know you're passionate about teaching the Word of God verse by verse, and there's a reason for that. And I think the reason is because it allows us to actually take the Word of God and allow it to speak for itself. Yeah, Ben, if you think about, like we were talking about Israel and uh, what God did in Israel, and, you know, if you, if you look at the gospel of Jesus and the New Testament, and you find that the New Testament quotes from the Old Testament over 600 times. So I don't think it's possible to, you know, be a Bible teacher without taking the First Testament, as I like to call it, seriously, and uh, to recognize that uh, what you have in the New Testament is the fulfillment of everything that you find in the First Testament. So, I mean, the story of God's dealings with Israel is something to do for all of us. One story. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. Hi, this is Dr. John Newfeld, and when you read Acts 13, verse 1, you can't help but be encouraged by the list of names presented in the church in Antioch. As Back to the Bible reaches out to the nations, I'm exhilarated to know that the gospel is being spread to people of such a wide diversity of backgrounds. I think God is pleased with this. This is how the early church was formed, to reach out to a multitude of different people groups. His God's call. Now, with your support, Back to the Bible Canada is responding to that call by translating the daily program into key languages, beginning with Mandarin and then expanding into other languages that offer both a unique national and global impact. For this purpose, a number of like-minded ministry friends have made a match pledge of $25,000, meaning for every dollar you give, an additional dollar will be matched up to $25,000. Would you join us in making this international initiative possible? 
Call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.